0: We triumph the tins of praise. Apostle, dearly beloved, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Testimony concerning the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the witness, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne witness to his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. He who does not believe in God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne to his Son. Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to John At that time, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his, in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side, Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The saving words of the gospel. Well, today we have finally come to the end of our, the the real kind of Lenten and Easter cycle, though the Easter cycle really continues to Pentecost. Uh, Today we uh, conclude the octave of Easter. Um, as you know, an octave is a time when the church closes, you know, st- stops the clock, uh, so that we can rest within the mystery and uh, and consider it from different uh, points of view, uh, because it's just one day is just not enough, and also it's uh, highly significant that it's an octave, you know, the eighth day is the time beyond the seventh day of rest, and so it has a it's a witness to eternity. Uh, we have um, the. Station Mass today is at San Pancrazio, St. Pancras, on the, Janiculum. Uh, this is a big hill that looms up over the, ro- over Rome. On the other side of the Tiber from the, like, the downtown area. It's on the same side as where the Vatican is. This is a big hill. And up on the hill is, a, you go up over the ridge and then down a little valley and then up another side and there's San Pancrazio and it's a bit, bit of a hike outside. What well, would have been the ancient city of Rome? There's no colic church for this. And, uh, there was, is the, the tomb in catacombs and the tomb of a, a 14 year old boy named St. Pancras who was, uh, killed in 304, uh, because he had converted to Christianity. And, uh, so he's kind of a counterpart to the Roman virgin martyrs. And, uh, his, uh, his, uh, cult was, uh, very big in, in the, in the ancient church. They did much of him. Uh, right next to where St. Pancras is, by the way, is the Theresianum. The Theresianum is the big Carmelite, uh, complex in Rome. It's a big school there. And, uh, they offer, uh, especially coursework in spirituality. I'm not quite sure what that is, but, uh, they offer coursework uh, in it. Uh, in any event, uh, today we have, uh, there's a, an interesting point for those of you who uh, may you know look into Scripture more often. In the first letter of John, we have in here what's called the Johannine comma. Kaaba is more than it uh, means more things than just the uh, little squiggle on a page in between clauses. Um, it's a it's like a, a phrase that a lot of scholars believe was added to the text, and so modern texts. Of the modern editions of the scriptures tend to omit this but it was uh, part of the uh, part of the ancient um, part of the the Vulgate uh, that was done by Pope Sixtus the fifth and then Clement the eighth and uh, between them there were a couple of popes there was a Gregory the 14th Srodato and uh, then there was Innocent uh, uh, Faccinetti, who only lived about a month. And then um, Clement the Eighth, Um and uh, they had ordered Gregory the Fourteenth had put together a commission to review the Vulgate and review editions of the Vulgate because the earlier ones that had been published by Sixtus the Fifth, had errors and so forth in it, so they wanted to to pull all these things in. They they pulled all of the the editions in, put put took them out of circulation, and then tried to make another one. They put together a commission uh, on the Vulgate. Um, the great uh, Saint Robert Bellerman was part of this, and they put together a new edition of the Vulgate uh, at that time. it's the Vulgate that lasted from 1592 all the way up until. 1979 when John Paul II promulgated the new Vulgate, the Neo-Vulgata. Uh, and um, So the new Vulgate will not have in it the Joanna comma, but it was retained uh, in the old uh, Vulgate, and that's why we have it in the Missal, because the Missal follows that Sisto-Clementine Vulgate as they call it. And the comma that I'm talking about is this phrase in the first letter of Saint John? And the Spirit is the witness because the Spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses: the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. So that is when you take a look at your readings uh, again and try to review them as you should. You should always look at the readings ahead of mass during the week and then after uh, Sunday mass during the week. But uh, that particular phrase is the Johannine comma. And probably if you have a newer edition of the scriptures, you know, you'll see that there's a footnote, um, and that will explain. Uh, you know that this isn't in every edition of scripture. Um, about the continuation, about the, the Gospel according to John. Yeah, well, there are a couple things here. Uh, as I was reading this, I was writing uh, a piece for, for uh, one Peter five. And I was reading this over and I decided to go back to the Greek and take a look at it. And there are a couple of things that I noticed in here. First of all, the reading ends with a kind of a strange comment by John. He steps out for a moment and he writes something that sounds very much like a conclusion. As if he were, if you were to end the gospel right there, it would make sense because this Great cry of faith of Thomas, my Lord and my God, is a, like a climax to the gospel, going in a trajectory from the prologue all the way to this moment. It's like a climax to the whole thing. And so then John pens this thing, now Jesus did many other signs of the presence of the disciples, you know, that you may believe and so forth. Well, it sounds like a conclusion, but, the, but it goes on and, you know, it goes on, this is chapter 20 and then it goes on to chapter 21 remember that the chapters and the verses didn't exist at the time when John wrote this. They were imposed centuries later. So there's a continuous piece. So but there's this curious there's this curious phrase here. Well, John is an eyewitness to these events that happened in the upper room. And they must have impressed him in such a way that he had to step out and say, I saw this and this is true. Remember what he said after the Lord's side was pierced with a lance and the blood of the water came out. He said, I saw this. This is true. It really happened. So he steps out of the narrative for a moment and he makes this assertion uh, uh, of fidelity to you. Well, as it happens, just as that stepping out had to do with the piercing of the Lord's side, so too his stepping out has to do with the piercing in the Lord's side. Because here's Thomas, who was not with them when the Lord breathed on the apostles and gave them the power to forgive sins. And Thomas wasn't with them. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Thomas was somehow lacking power to forgive sins. He breathed on the college of the apostles. So the whole college received this. On the other hand, Thomas wasn't there, was he? And Thomas also had made this phrase of disbelief about the Lord coming in. Unless I put my finger in his nail, wounds in my hand, and his side, I will not believe. Well, the Lord appears, and what does he do? He says, here, look at my hands. Put your finger in the nail marks. And put your hand into my side and believe. Now... The Gospel account doesn't actually say that Thomas did it, because immediately we have Thomas' exclamation, my Lord and my God. But something moved John to the point where he had to step out of the narrative for a moment and say, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written in the New of Something happened, I think, I just feel it in my bones. Something happened here that moved John to do something else. And what could that have been? Well, let's consider for a moment that the marks in the Lord's hands and feet and side were still there. The wounds were still there. If that is the case then the wound from the lance of the Roman soldier was still there. And what was that wound? That wound went all the way into the Lord, through his ribcage, through his lungs, and up to his heart. And that wound channel would still have been there, is still there now. Of course, the Lord is a gloriously risen body, and so there's impassibility. There's no suffering as a result of this. He's gloriously risen. And he's God. And so, but the wound channel would still be there. And it's obviously big enough from a lance that the Lord says, don't, you know, put your hand into my side. He uses the word finger, doctilos, for the nail marks. And that's about proportion to what the spike, the size of the spike would be. Put it into my hand. And put your hand in my side. So the word that's used for put your hand in my side in the Greek is bale, as the verb, and it means to thrust, as one might a lance. Thrust your hand into my side. Not only that. You know that there's um you know the, the depictions of the Lord being crucified, they have the and and when he's risen, they always have the Marks of the nails the, and the spikes through his hands on the cross. It's always almost always on the hands. But there are people who remark that the weight of a human body would tear through the flesh if it was just in the bones. Of the, if it was just in the hands, it wouldn't support. So they must have nailed him through the wrists, so that the two bones there and that whole complex would hold the weight of his body. And indeed, the weird the word for hand in Greek can mean in some cases hand, but it also means the whole forearm, the hand and the wrist of the forearm. So much so that in some contexts in Greek, additional words are added to exclude the wrist. When they mean just the hand, they add some words just to make it clear that they're talking about just this part here. So the word hand can mean all the way up, right? Including the wrist. So if they, if those who would say that he was nailed through the wrist, well, they had, there's some, there's, the word hand does mean that. So when the Lord says, put your hand in my side, thrust your hand into my side, what could that possibly mean? Well, something moved John to step out of the narrative and said, there are a lot of signs that the Lord did that are written in this book, but, you know, that you may believe, here it is. So as I'm reading this in the Greek, I have the image of Thomas obeying the Lord, because when the risen Lord appears and he tells you to do something, you do it. And even though it isn't explicitly said here in the scriptures, I think it's behind the text. It's within the text, and I think it's justifiable. That Thomas did, Thomas, who was not there before to be breathed upon by the Lord, put his hand into the Lord's side. All the way up that wound channel into the lung where he may have felt the breath of the Lord on his wrist and arm and touched his heart. And isn't really that the essence of what we encounter in the sacrament of penance when we go to confession? Once again we are breathed upon it by the Holy Spirit and touch the heart of mercy.